cuts are artichoking Edmonton's higher ed. This week, Council's on break, so we're going to take a look at the UCP budget, as well as some of the things we missed over the past few months. We'll start with the good news, and then have 29 more minutes of podcast afterward. Hi, I'm Troy. I'm Mac. And we're Speaking Speaking Municipally. Welcome back to Speaking Municipally, episode 75, and we start with the acknowledgement that it's top 40 under 40 season. Uh, nominations are now open for the prestigious Edmonton uh, competition. Recognition program. Of which both you and Sharon are alumni. Yes, that's true. Um, before the show, I was talking about how generally, because of what I'm about to do, the whole thing seems hokey to me. <laughs> But I will just remind all of you, dear listeners, that I'm 25 and the link is in the show notes to nominate someone. It's top40under40.com. Nominate Troy today. I could be the first person nominated for top 40 under 40 for writing three jokes about municipal politics a week. And if that doesn't qualify me, well, this next segment definitely should. A new 127,000 square foot Costco location is being constructed in West Edmonton and scheduled to open this year. The building, slated to cost $6.3 million, will feature all the classic Costco features you know and love, like cheap hot dogs and Saturday samples for lunch, as well as new, modern Costco features, like empty shelves where hand sanitizer and toilet paper once were. The Oilers turned out to actually be the Predators as they steamrolled the Nashville team 8-3 to this week four goals for Dreisaitl. The team has been struggling for a couple of weeks with a lost sense of self after COVID-19 was named Apex Predator and stealing all their press. After the team's crushing loss, their captain released a statement saying, we had a fever for victory, but I guess the fatigue got to us. Unfortunately, we caught the bugging feeling of a loss early on and couldn't muscle through, but we're back on the ice in practice and doing great. We ran drills yesterday and we're the best we've ever been. You should have vaccine it. Alberta, with just under 12% of the Canadian population, has over half the cannabis stores in Canada, with 423. This successful milestone represents the fruits of a long-term collaboration between AHS and AGLC. Said a spokesperson for the organizations, quote, We aim to provide the highest quality of life for Albertans. We learned from the Diamond Princess cruise ship quarantine that people don't like being bored. So when the pandemic quarantines start, Albertans can know that they're never more than half a block from a pot shop. The easiest and most Albertan way to pass an afternoon or several week quarantine. Speaking Municipally is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network powered by ATB. This episode is brought to you by Inventures, a chance to connect with the best and brightest in global innovation. You can join 4,000 creative and curious minds on the frontier of innovation and hear from more than 250 speakers on six program tracks, including smart cities, vibrant communities. InVentures connects entrepreneurs and startups with venture capitalists, angel investors, service providers, and thought leaders. Alberta Innovates is making all of this possible in Calgary from June 3rd to June 5th. Tickets are only $399 if you buy before the end of April. If you're a student, you can get a ticket for just $199. You can learn all about it and get your tickets today at InVenturesCanada.com. Is Alberta Innovates a provincial organization? It is. So it's probably off color to make the joke that this will be another tech conference that the government of Alberta doesn't show up at. (laughs) Yeah, they'll probably be there. (laughs) Although they did just cut $10 million more from Alberta Innovates' budget. We'll have to decide whether we keep this in or cut it. We're going to jump to the first topic of the day. It's the Alberta Budget 2020. It was released this week. Last week. It was released 
in the period of this week, <laughs> I remember when I was speaking at council mm -hmm. about speed limits, one of the thoughts in all of our minds is speaking between when we were speaking and when council would actually vote on speed limit reductions, there was going to be another budget dropping. Yeah. And we've seen the previous budgets. We didn't expect a lot of good things coming out of this budget. Yeah. And for the most part, I think the reaction to this provincial budget, budget 2020 so far has been that it is essentially what we expected. It continues the course that the province uh, started on when they released the budget last year and all of these sort of committed cuts that they had planned to make are essentially getting followed through on um, for cities like Edmonton and and Calgary, the bigger cities, you know, there's still uh, this feeling that the pro province is downloading some of the costs onto those municipalities and that they've, you know, ripped up the, the previous funding formula for MSI and for the city charters. And none of that changed. That's all still the plan, essentially. That's what we saw in budget 2020. Well, right off the top, we promised listeners some good news first. Okay. Is there any to be found in this budget? Well, I mean, there's some announcements in there that you could read as positive. So for Ooh, ringing endorsement there for for Edmonton, there's a few capital things. First, we'll talk about that uh, look like positive things. Three hundred million dollars over three years for the Jeans Wasdeski Center at Norwood. Two hundred thirty million dollars over three years for a new Southwest Edmonton Hospital. Um, Twelve million for a neurosciences intensive care unit at the U of A's Brain Center. Uh, and then, you know, twelve million for the TELUS World of Science. Twenty million for the Winspear Center on LRT funding, you know, probably the biggest portion of capital funding. There's no change. It's still mostly deferred until after um, the, the budget cycle wraps up 2022, 2023. Also the next election. Exactly. So, you know, those are they look like positive things. The, the thing is that most of those were previously announced and uh, they just remained in the budget. So I guess the positive takeaway there is that none of those things got cut. We're really, really scraping for those good news nuggets. We didn't cut LRT funding any further, for instance. You know, as I said, MSI funding is kind of the same. Set at $192 million this year for Edmonton, uh, dropping to $179 million in the following year for Edmonton. And then after that, of course, there's this new grant formula that they've come up with and Edmonton and Calgary will have to share $455 million, which is a big decrease from what we thought we were going to get when we had the city charter's uh, fiscal framework. So um, is that all we have for good news? Well, the good news, I suppose, is Kenny's approval rating has just gone down. Oh, we're taking a political <laughs> swing there. That's out of character for us on this podcast. Uh, yeah, I saw earlier today that it's down to 47% from 54% back in December. However, he is still, I think it, the article said, the fourth most popular premier in the country. Yeah, and so 47% honestly doesn't seem that low to me. I mean, like, that's pretty close to a majority of Albertans still approving, which is a far cry from the narrative you'll see. If you read articles, especially in Edmonton, yeah, you'll get the impression that tides are changing and that political opinion and public opinion of Jason Kenney has sort of switched. They've Albertans have realized the reality of cuts and austerity and don't like it. That's the impression you get. But is that actually true? I'm not so sure these approval numbers show that. Yeah, I think that's a fair criticism. And um, it, you could liken it, I guess, a little bit to what's going on down in the United States, right? Where you've seen lots of negative opinion and media coverage, and yet the approval ratings don't move too much for President Trump, and he still has a very strong base of support. Far be it from us to compare Jason Kenney to Donald Trump. I, I went there. I made the comparison. You know, there's kind of two other things that impact uh, reaction to this budget 
um, especially here in Edmonton. So the first is from our friend Dave Cornway on the Dave Berta podcast. He wrote about this and said, you know, this budget, like the last several budgets for both UCP and NDP governments, really doesn't do enough to get us away from royalty revenues and dependence on oil and gas. That's his main criticism of this. And in fact, he says this UCP budget for 2020 actually grows the percentage of revenues that we uh, get from royalties from 10% to 15%. I thought it was pretty interesting because we also saw a pretty widely shared article this week with maybe rose-colored glasses looking back on the Prentice campaign in 2015 mm-hmm. versus Notley and his infamous look in the mirror comment, right, which was not very well received by Albertans, but the author made the point that, well, perhaps Princess was right and we really do need to look in the mirror. He presented a series of cuts that Albertans didn't necessarily agree with, so they chose an NDP plan that uh, had a different path to removing reliance on oil and royalty revenue. However, the Kenny government isn't doing that. So the Kenny government is cutting, sure. But like you just said, our dependence on oil is only increasing. Yeah. They just announced $100 million for this orphan oil well problem that has uh, crept up in the media recently here in Alberta. And, you know, went around proudly proclaiming that it'll create 500 jobs. And, and critics of this plan say that it's really just a Band-Aid, that it doesn't go nearly far enough to address the problem first and foremost. Well, there's tens of billions of dollars of orphan wells. Exactly. And 500 jobs in a sort of industry that we don't believe we should be dependent on completely anymore doesn't seem like a, a great deal of success coming from that, part, that that strategy. And then you hear all the criticism in tech, of course, of, you know, that's where the future is. That's where we should be um, putting more of our energies and more of our resources into trying to capture some of the jobs of the future economy. And we're not doing enough on that file. We've talked about this on the podcast before, but uh, innovation tax credits, uh, many tech companies in Alberta have been lamenting the loss of those credits and companies have decided to set up shop elsewhere. Absolutely. And you have big success stories here in Edmonton and in, and in Alberta who are questioning you know, whether they're able to grow here. Um, the provincial government in this budget will tell you that they have about $200 million that they've allocated toward innovation. And they get to that number by adding up a variety of different budget line items. Um, and almost all of that funding is previously committed. It's not new. Um, they also have talked about in this budget, which I do believe is new funding, about $75 million to attract investment to the province from other places. But that's not you know, investing in the tech companies and the expertise and the talent that we have in Alberta, that's going and doing a marketing campaign to try to get people from elsewhere to to have confidence, enough confidence to come back and bring their money to Alberta. But the University of Alberta, Nate, they've been churning out grads and tech entrepreneurs and in this case, uh, AI Mm -hmm. genii, um, because we're, uh, well, we were at least a world-class leader in AI. Um, We may see some of that leave. But our institutions, we've been warned about a potential brain drain uh, in both universities and technical colleges, as well as medical doctors. But post-secondary has gotten a pretty significant beating in this budget. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, I've been following, obviously, artificial intelligence and and the tech and innovation sector uh, in Alberta for a while now. And the most consistent refrain has been you know, we've got to worry about our talent. We've got to fix the talent issue. There's this potential brain drain. There's not, um, you know, the jobs here for those graduates. We can't continue to attract new graduates and new expertise to the province if we don't continually invest in that. So it's really disheartening to see, 
you know, some of the impact that it, that is having. So we saw this week that Nate is going to cut 240 jobs. That's a lot of jobs. And they're going to raise tuition by 7% to deal with these budget cuts. That number floored me when I saw it because that's not minimum wage service worker jobs. Those are high paying, like good jobs that we want to keep in the economy. That's a huge blow. 200 from one institution. Yeah. And we saw SAIT also announced job cuts. And you know that the U of A and all the other post-secondary institutions are are also facing these similar budgetary challenges. Well, the U of A is facing like almost a 15% budget cut across the board. A budget cut of 15% for the U of A? While one might think, oh, it's an institution, how much effect is that really going to have? And they got to perform more leanly. Well, lean in this case, the U of A has as many employees as the proper city of Edmonton organization. It's almost 15,000 employees at the U of A. You cut 10 to 15% off that budget, and that's 1,000, 2,000 jobs lost like that. That is huge in the city of Edmonton. You put 2,000 people who previously had, you know, 40 to $80,000 a year jobs on unemployment. Where are they going to go? That's going to be a huge dent to our local economy. And to say nothing of the other jobs we're losing in public administration and in healthcare, we've seen nurses get uh, job cuts. Um, and of course, if tuition's going up, the U of A has over 40,000 students. That means less money to spend on other things that is going to hurt the economy because they've got to cover their tuition. One can understand the desire to have a efficient, well-oiled machine and cut red tape, as it were. Yeah. But these cuts seem baffling. I don't understand how one who can campaign on jobs can make cuts that will directly cost jobs. It doesn't make sense to me. I don't get the end game here. Yeah, and this is a really interesting point. So both the Edmonton Chamber of Commerce and the Calgary Chamber of Commerce released a joint statement in response to this budget. Um, Janet Riopel, the president of, of our chamber here in Edmonton, uh, said, quote, Budget 2020 recognizes that Alberta's job creators are the economic engine of our province, end quote. Essentially saying cutting all of these other jobs to give a big tax cut to the corporations is what will create new jobs. See, I was going to say, the way you phrased that, it made it sound like the Chamber of Commerce was about to come out against this. And I was going to say, Chamber of Commerce coming out against a conservative government? No. Color me surprised. Well, I am not surprised. Yeah. I mean, the only thing they did say is, as you and I just talked about, um, they said that they see this continued reliance on revenues from non-renewable resources as a source of risk. But other than that, they were pretty happy with the proposal uh, that the budget put forward. Um, Just on education, we should mention it's not just post-secondary. It's also our primary education system. Edmonton Public is facing a $34.4 million uh, shortfall this year. They just voted to cut five days from the calendar. That'll only save them $2.7 million. There's lots of cutting still to be done if they're going to hit that number. I had heard on the Ryan Jesperson show there was a concerned parent who had gone to consultations with school board trustees, and there was talks about thousands of teachers losing their jobs in Edmonton Public over the next couple of years. Mm-hmm. And that's just a really concerning number. I remember when I was going through university, I grew up in the Klein years, so there was a lot of cuts to education. Yeah. And growing up, you always knew, don't get a teaching degree because you'll never have a job. Right. And when I was in undergraduate, that was never true. Teachers in Edmonton were high demand all the time. You knew if you were getting an ed degree, you were getting a job because we had new schools, new families, exploding growth. That may not be the case anymore. 
and very quickly pulling out the rug from all of these potential education graduates because there's a lag time. People invest in educations to get the jobs that they see projected will be available. And one thinks, hey, a growing population, mandatory education, hey, a teacher is probably a good bet for jobs being available. And I think we're going to see a lot of grads again with the brain drain, perhaps moving to other municipalities and other provinces where there are jobs available because if there's nothing in Edmonton, what's keeping you? If you have to go to Slave Lake or yeah. a rural community, why not go to Saskatoon? The other long-term impact of this, of course, is the effect it'll have on sort of the built form of the city. If you're the public school board and you need to cut jobs, you're going to start to look at where is enrollment the lowest. And that's the core areas of our city where new families are not in a massive abundance. And won't be if there's no school for them to move to. Yeah. So speaking of chicken and egg infrastructure problems, supportive housing was something that municipal politicians have long lamented a mm -hmm. lack of provincial support for. And I'm sure this budget, because we're in the good news segment still, had a lot of support for supportive housing. Oh, yeah, you know it. Absolutely. And the mayor came out and said, look at all this money for supportive housing. Yep. So what's the reality? <laughs> so the reality is that um, the mayor, Don Iveson, and council have been remarkably consistent on this, I think. We've been talking about it on the show for almost a year now, actually. We did a special episode on supportive housing last summer. Um, and they continue to push both the provincial and federal government for greater funding uh, for supportive housing. And right away, the statement that the mayor released in response to Budget 2020 essentially called out the province for um, not putting enough funding behind uh, this important thing. He says, quote, sadly, reducing social disorder on our streets, which we are hearing directly from our business community is critical to attracting investment to Edmonton, remains unaddressed in this budget, end quote. So he's kind of using the uh, business community lever there to try to say, look, on the one hand, you've called this a blueprint for jobs and you want to attract jobs and investment to create new jobs in the province. One of the things our business community needs is reducing social disorder, getting people into housing. Why aren't you funding that? I have to wonder when I read a statement like that, where is Iveson? Because this week, it was budget week. There's this budget that cuts municipality funding in big ways. A Valley Line funding still uncertain. It's in many ways an assault on Iveson's vision for Edmonton and what he campaigned on. This statement is basically all he said. Yeah. Where is the mayor? I don't know that speaking in uh, UCP jargon as an attempt to endear yourself to a province that is openly hostile to your right. city. Right. Where's the fighting mayor? Where's the fight? Why is he the only one we're not hearing from? You had councillors like Andrew Knack stepping up and saying, you know, local authorities election act, the changes were contemplating to municipal elections, unacceptable. And here's why. Yeah. Why is Andrew Knack, a ward one councillor, taking that? Why don't we have Don Iveson, chair of Big City Mayor's Caucus? He's taken a role in advocacy for big cities and the role big cities play. Why is he silent? Where is he? Oh, I think it's a good question. I think one of the things we see we've seen this week in response to the budget is that a lot of the councillors and and perhaps the mayor and other sort of civic leaders kind of already got their anger out in October when the budget first came out. And because this budget is a little bit of a continuation of that and there's no major surprises in it, it's kind of like, well, we've already said our piece. 
let's save our reaction for next week when Troy comes to yell at us about uh, core zone, perhaps. Um, but maybe that's being a bit generous. I think it's a good point. We should be making some more noise uh, about this. And as I said, at least they've been consistent, but perhaps not aggressive enough in that consistency. Yeah. And I'm not so naive to think if Don Iveson angry tweets, then Jason Kenney gives us $300 million. Right. <laughs> but when we're talking about an election coming up in 2021, which will inevitably be framed as austerity versus progressivism, if Don Iveson hasn't been peddling the message that all these cuts are being handed down to us by the province, if that's not clear narrative in the mind of every Edmontonian, that's not a fight that anyone who doesn't want brutal cuts can win. The messaging needs to be out now that, yes, there are cuts, there are tax increases, and these are all the province's fault. And here's why. Without peddling that narrative, I don't know how any municipal politician can get by without campaigning on a five to seven percent across the board cut. And it has to be Don. It has to be the mayor because Edmonton is going to get hit way worse than the other municipalities uh, with these cuts. The government, UCP government is going to cut another 1,400 jobs across the public service. You know, that makes up nearly half of all government spending right there, um, the public sector. And, and we know in Edmonton, 25 to 30% of our employment base is public sector jobs. If you're cutting public sector jobs across the province, you're disproportionately going to hit Edmonton. Edmonton has already got an un unemployment rate at 8.2% of one of the highest among major cities in Canada, and it's gone up. The forecast is that it will gradually drift lower this year, but remember, it's a lagging indicator. And uh, if these job cuts continue, and you know, now that we know what is planned in Budget 2020, there's a very good chance that it can continue to rise. And that's a really bad thing for Edmonton's economy overall. And so the mayor, Don, really should be talking about that from a Edmonton point of view, that these cuts are really going to hurt Edmonton harder than they're going to hurt other parts of the province. I mean, a part of me wonders if he looked down south and he saw Nenshi, who Calgary, I'm not going to say Calgary's making it like a bandit no. because it's <laughs> austerity cuts across the board. Yeah. But Calgary is faring better than Edmonton in terms of capital funding. They are getting more money for projects than we are. Uh, maybe it's just because of a priority matrix. Maybe it's because Edmonton voted orange. Mm. Who can say? Um, I won't, but the reader can make up their own mind. However, Nenshi, he took an aggressive stance and he said, you know, some of these changes aren't acceptable. He called UCP ministers out. He called the premier out and he took a lot of flack for it. There was a lot of vitriolic tweets at Nenshi. And maybe Don is looking at this saying, I'm not up for running in 2021. I'm looking to back out of the seat. Maybe I'm not willing to put my head on a stake for a fight that I can't win. If that's the case, I think that's a really sad story for Edmonton. Maybe credit to the mayor. He's got some secret backroom plan, perhaps a war room that is ready to fight back on this. But if so, it's time to open up the room because the absenteeism is probably going to really hurt Edmonton in the long term. We're going to take a breather from budget talk and we're going to talk about Short-term rentals. Edmonton residents have been urging the city to crack down on short-term rentals, Airbnb, um, VRBO. Yeah. yeah, those <laughs> apps that do Uber butt houses. Right. And how's that been going? Well, I have to first make a connection back to the budget. I apologize. Okay. The province, they extended the tourism levy that applies to hotels and accommodations to short-term rentals. So 4% levy 
if you rent out your Airbnb. And there's a couple of minor exceptions that allow you to avoid this. But for the most part, if you're renting out your space on Airbnb, you're now going to have to pay this um this tourism levy as well to the province. But yeah, here in Edmonton, um, you know, there's been discussion about what we can do on this. And actually I thought it was interesting that a spokesperson for Airbnb was at council and, and talked about the bylaw that was proposed for Edmonton as being cumbersome and confusing, uh, compared to what other cities have. So, uh, Nathan Rotman said, uh, quote, you can be paying up to 400 and change dollars in order to share your own home in Calgary. It's much simpler. It's based on how many bedrooms, $100 for up to four bedrooms and about 200 for over five bedrooms. Much simpler, easy to use system. Um, The bylaw that was proposed uh, here in Edmonton, of course, has a whole bunch of different things that they suggested that administration look at. And that's essentially where we're at. Seems like we're much less innovative and ahead of the curve versus Uber and ride sharing when we were touting that we would be the first Canadian municipality to approve app-based ride sharing. Right. Yeah, it's very different, right? For some reason, imagine that we're happy to take some innovative steps on cars, um, but not uh, make this uh, popular. I mean, it's not like Airbnb is new and it's not like it's a small thing. This is a big part of uh, of travel nowadays. Um, and we're, for whatever reason, behind the eight ball on this. At the risk of taking some flack for it, I don't see in Edmonton a huge problem with Airbnb. You had problem properties, party houses, as it were, but mm-hmm. that's a more Airbnb problem to crack down. And they are. They are. Yeah. They are cracking down on that. The big problem with temporary home sharing situations comes in areas like Vancouver and Toronto, where it like drives up house prices because, you know, it leaves vacant properties where a resident could live there. I don't see that as a problem in Edmonton. We have a very depressed rental market right now. There's a lot of vacancies. I don't know that anyone who wants a house is being forced out because of Airbnb here. Yeah. No, I think there's a big difference, too, between uh, single family homes and multifamily homes, condos and apartment buildings and things like that. Right. So the proposed bylaw changes would uh, require you to notify adjacent property owners which in a condo is very different than in a single family home. Um, you know, also potentially set some thresholds around number of occupants and, and, uh, if you get a certain number of bylaw infractions that you can get your business license revoked, that kind of thing. Um, all of those things seem sensible. It's kind of like a one size fits all probably isn't the best approach here. I don't know that our bylaw needs to be arduous or punitive. Uh, we don't need to be charging $400, $500 licensing good because you know you don't want every house to be a hotel sure but to make it priced punitively to dissuade individuals from doing this i don't know is the best solution if we don't want airbnb let's ban airbnb um but if we want to allow it let's draft a bylaw that allows it i mean i'm in favor of airbnb i use it all the time i wish uh it was allowed properly in the condo building that i live in I seem to be in the minority of owners in the building on that file. They are more keen to ban um, Airbnb from uh, the building through our own condominium bylaws, which is a another thing that you know might apply in in situations like this. Like, who cares what the city of Edmonton does if the condo buildings themselves don't allow it, right? So, I'm a little disappointed, I guess. Speaking of not allowed and disappointed, the Edmonton Police Service. Uh, we talked about facial recognition technology. They were trialing some new facial recognition technologies, but whoa, 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 it's fine. We're not abusing this. Other municipalities have trialed this thing, but we're taking it slow. And you brought some information that 
said, maybe that's not quite the case. I thought this was so interesting. We talked about this in episode 71. If you want to go back and check it out, the Edmonton Police Service said they were looking at using this technology in a very specific, limited way. Um, and that they weren't actually looking at using Clearview AI, which is the big player in the space that has come under fire from the New York Times and, uh, and other um, press in the United States for their practices. Um, the, the scariness of what they've been able to do, you know, being able to take a picture and immediately come up with names and phone numbers and contact information just based on the photo that they've harvested from social media sites like Facebook and others. And you said, we're not using Clearview. The police said, nope, we're not using Clearview. We're looking at some other technology. And then Clearview had a technology breach, uh, a security breach rather, sorry, uh, and it showed um, their client list. And so people were able to look at who are clients of Clearview AI and not just paying clients, but people who might have gone and trialed it. Guess who was on the list? I'm going to say the Edmonton Police Service. The Edmonton Police Service was on the list. Uh, Edmonton's uh, Office of Privacy, the Privacy Commissioner, Jill Clayton, um, you know, basically had already said, we need to be cautious about this. We should set some rules. We should have a third-party independent review. Um, and now she's basically said, you know, the Edmonton Police Service was not forthcoming about its use of this technology. The list was breached, and we found out that, in fact, three employees at EPS had used the product. Giving the police a bit of an out mm. for the sake of argument did the edmonton police service proper use this how widespread was the usage or was this some rogue police officers misusing tools on their job so according to a spokesperson for the edmonton police service there were three fairly senior officers granted who were at a technology conference they saw this tool clearview ai being marketed they went and tried it. Apparently, they only logged in once to see how it worked. And then once again in January as part of an auto theft investigation. And then that was it. So the EPS is saying three people used it twice. OK, so I was on board with that. You're at a conference. You see someone on stage. They're screaming about BitConnect or something. And you're excited about whatever that guy's peddling. So you log in. And, and you... these companies make it easy to go and trial it. Yeah, so you trial a SaaS. The second part of what you said... And then they used it in an investigation. Right. Um, that's a problem. That right. is definitely them using Clearview AI. Right. Definitely uh, using it without any sort of oversight, without any sort of approval process, uh, without any sort of regulations in place to guide how they might use that. Again, not a super widespread problem with Clearview AI, but a massive problem in my mind of officer discretion and tool use because this is a U.S. company subject to the Patriot Act doing massive data scanning on what amounts to just Canadian citizens. Yeah. And the police are just kosher to fire up that tool on a auto theft investigation. I wonder what else they're using on other perhaps even more serious investigations. That that gives me some significant pause. Absolutely. And we just saw last week or the week before that they're going to start using these genealogy databases where you can upload genetic material and uh, police services can use that to try to find uh solutions to cold cases that have gone back, you know, sometimes even decades. Is that regulated? How, do, how are they using that? We don't know. Um, the other angle on this that I thought was particularly interesting is at least Edmonton's not alone here. Uh, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but um, CBC reports that municipal police services in Calgary, Edmonton, Halifax, Windsor, all report that they've used it. Toronto have said that some of their police officers have used it even after they also denied using it a month prior. And of course, we just learned that the RCMP is also using Clearview AI after they too denied using it, which is kind of interesting to me. So you have all these police 
law enforcement agencies across the country saying, no, 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 we're not using Clearview AI, and then actually having to admit that, nope, we are using it because of this security breach of their client list. I'm reminded of a few years back, uh, back in, I want to say it was 2017 or 2018, police services across the country were taking heat for Stingray usage, which Mm. was, it was a device that police could plant and it would basically intercept cell towers and then spy on the communications of any user within a specific radius. And I know uh, Ottawa Police Service, various police services across the country after pressure and investigation revealed, yeah, actually we have used these devices before. And I believe Edmonton was on the list. Uh, Well, if I'm not right about this, we'll edit this out. But (laughs) if this is still in, that's a tacit agreement that Edmonton has used these devices and got caught with their pants down before, which signals a pattern of behavior that I'm not super okay with. But I guess that's what the police commission is for. What what oversight mechanism do we have for these kinds of things? Yeah, supposed to be the police commission and ultimately, obviously, city council. So I would hope that the next time uh, the police are before council looking for money and looking for helicopters for their technology projects, I was going to say, but yeah, maybe helicopters that we ask some hard questions of them. I mean, some of this obviously is uh, beyond a civic jurisdiction. And so, as I said, the provincial privacy commissioners looking into this. The police themselves have said that they're going to do an independent investigation to try to uh, uh, look into this and figure out how this was used. But certainly the buck stops with city council when it comes to EPS. And I would hope that they have some questions. Speaking of questions, a listener might be questioning, hey, how do you guys make the big dollar dollar bills, yo? And that's because we're a part of the Alberta Podcast Network powered by ATB and they pay us the big dollar dollar bills, yo, to... uh, present this podcast in exchange for reading a couple ads like for the Edmonton Community Foundation. The Well Endowed Podcast is by the Edmonton Community Foundation. It's hosted by Andrew Paul and Elizabeth Bonking, produced by Lisa Pruden, and it explores the impact of passionate people who are working to make Edmonton a strong, vibrant city to live in. Uh, The Edmonton Community Foundation helps create endowment funds, and the podcast tells the stories of how those endowments intersect with the communities. Episode 66 explores the financial reality of millennials in Edmonton by spending a day in the life with Alexis Hilliard, the creative force behind Stump Kitchen. Previously went and did a live show and is doing a Alberta Podcast Network event uh, coming up soon. You can go to albertapodcastnetwork.com to find out about that. And of course, you can subscribe and find out about the Well Endowed Podcast at thewellendowedpodcast.com. And that's it for this week. We will be back about municipal politics next week, I and promise. specifically speed limit reduction. Well, we'll see if council doesn't delay it. Who knows? Um, on the schedule for next week is speed limit reductions, but we have learned lessons about promising <laughs> things. Oh, I shouldn't promise. Until next week, I'm Troy. I'm Mac. And we're Speaking, Speaking Municipally. municipally.